Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I'm here with another listener question episode. This one I'm going to just track with the episode numbers people are referencing, and I'll mention the person's name if and where it's appropriate. But first, thanks sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, CompC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. So the first one is about episode 906, Adam Gray on the PWCC Iconic 100 that I enjoyed talking about with Adam's a sharp guy. He now works for Fanatics, I think, through PWCC's acquisition. I'm hoping that Adam is allowed to continue to do that. Anyway, the letter I got was from John Keating, my frequent contributor and friend, that 70s card show. He really thinks you should be voting within your favorite sport and not a conglomerate iconic 100 that mixes the sports. He says we shouldn't have cyclists, jockeys, boat captains, and airline pilots write car reviews. Only John would say it that way. He's right, of course, except that perhaps PWCC is trying to generate not controversy, but some conversation. But I agree. I'd like to see a basketball iconic 100 that's rated by people that have a pretty good understanding of basketball. Not all OG basketball people and not all newbies, but a nice blend. When you do a poll, you get results according to who you polled. And if you poll people that didn't know that much about it, they're going to favor the things they did. So I'm hoping that Fanatics, John and Adam, I hope they continue that. I think it'd be a nice thing to see how that iconic 100 evolves. Continue with John Keating, back with uh, episode 943, where I actually was talking to John, and we talked about SPC as a separate company. And I really knew this, but he's mentioning that Mike Ehrenstein's son, Andrew, had said that his dad started SPC as a separate company away from TCMA, which was the larger established company, because he knew there would be issues with Tops. I'd heard that. It makes a lot of sense. And I regret that I didn't remember that when it came up. It's not that he maybe expected to be sued as much as he expected there would be issues or negotiation. So again, that makes sense to me. And it was a beautiful set. Next, from Wilbert Matthews about my 64 and 65 Tops baseball episode with Rich that was 948. And he mentioned that he was an obsessive collector. And so, therefore, he had lots of high numbers because he kept buying cards even when the other kids stopped. And there was a lot of competition for the cards on the candy store counter for Series 1 and 2. But by Series 6 and 7, I don't know that he bought the whole box, but he just said a lot of kids were interested early, moved on to other things. The other thing, I think, was getting out of school. In those days, there was no digital no camera phones or anything like that. You just had to show your cards and you bring them to school, but you couldn't bring them to the sandlot easily. If you're playing baseball, hardball or basketball or football, whatever you're doing in the summer, playing some other game, I just think you left them at home. Somehow when I went to school, I stuck them in my notebook or did some way that they would be not getting lost. But I've said a lot of the social credit that I got when I was growing up, when I was in some of these different schools I went to, was the fact that I collected cards, I knew about the sports, and it was a lot of fun. But his other point is that the cards did not come out as early in those days as they do now. Cards are coming out earlier in the year and even at the end of the previous year. But in those days, he's saying the cards came out around Easter. If that's March, that's reasonable. So you get March, April, May, June, you're out of school, at least in those days when I was going. Wilbert, thanks for your comment.
And then next on episode 954, the five listener questions. And this was again from John Keating. He was defending, and Ben Bram said the same thing, is that one of Cobb's biographies really may not have been that accurate. There's more to the story, and we shouldn't be so quick to condemn Ty Cobb, especially when stuff comes out after he's deceased. That's frustrating because he can't defend himself. Maybe his family can, and people can set the record straight. But if you put out a book and you purport to be telling a story, if it's not that accurate, that's a real shame. And the other thing is Ray Guy's rookie card. He mentions that the card itself is part of the lack of appeal. That There's three players on the card. It's like an action shot where Ray Guy is punting with, a, I guess, a blocker and a rusher. At least they didn't show him with a punt getting blocked, which truly was rare. But they really didn't give him great treatment for a guy that was really the best at what he did. Got an award name for him. Next, from Golden Slumber, referring to episode 955 on the hockey box battle insights from Upper Deck. And he's mentioning he loves sorting cards and organizing binder sets. I love sorting cards too, but not the binder sets. He said he enjoys the dollar box hunts as well as he does at the Toronto Sports Expo, which is a great place to do that. If you're interested in hockey, there's going to be that there. He also mentions that he's approaching his 72nd birthday. I'm outing you, Golden Slumber. But he says, prospecting, I leave to the young kids because I'm 72 now and I don't really have time to wait. You said it so nicely. I'm getting up there. I don't want to prospect back for that same reason. I'm not waiting for these 17-year-olds or 18-year-olds to emerge. In fact, what I've done I've done two things that are sports card insights, I think. One is in the dollar boxes that I hunt through, I really pretty much pass over the prospecting. I don't really look, and there'll be whole runs of shiny cards that are rookies, and it's pretty notable now in the last 17 years when something is a rookie card. It's got the rookie, the RC designation. I'm pretty much passing over that. It's rare that I'm going to pull out something like that unless it would be a, a very local player, but I'm doing it. And the other thing I have is I have a guy that sets aside, instead of doing a dollar box, he sets aside cards for me that he otherwise would put in the dollar box and gives me a package deal. And the reason it works, because I don't usually want to buy the whole dollar box, he takes out the prospect cards. So he sells the prospect cards, and he's got lots of people that want the prospect cards, but the cards I'm interested in are not the prospect cards. And so it really works great. So he can easily move without any friction a box of cards that are a little bit better. They're known players. They're not great players, but they're dollar box cards that are not prospects. I really appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to that. Won't happen to the national. I don't think because that's too big of a show, but it does happen at the local show here. Okay. 956 ramblings with rich. The first one I did and Beansball card blog. Ken mentions that he's disappointed other than Rich's a dot show, Rich's synagogue show, that the Dallas card show has become so successful that it's quashed a lot of the smaller local shows in this area. Kyle was one of the promoters of those smaller shows back 10 years ago, and it just grew and grew. Could there be another promoter, Ken, that steps up? And the challenge is you need to make it good for the dealers and good for the collectors. And so you've got to get a crowd there. I'm really not sure what that sweet spot is, whether it's 50 tables at a lower price point and at a lower admission. Is it a promoter that's trying to gradually grow that business? It's a difficult business. I will say this, Ken, all of these shows that are in a Metroplex, Burbank is in the greater LA 
area in Anaheim, obviously Orange County, Chicago, the Chicago land, Philly has within a hundred miles or 50 miles even, you've got a lot of population. So even in Plano here, that's good. I hope it happens, Ken, and let me know if you find a good show here, because uh, if there is a good show that's a little more casual, it's not as crowded, but dealers that want to sell cards, that'd be great. Okay. Another one from Ben Bram on that same thing of the ramblings with Rich. I can't remember what we talked about, but Ben, when he just listened to it, he said, you mentioned that the customer is always right. That's really not true. He says the customer thinks he's always right. And he mentions that if the customer realizes he or she is wrong, they rarely apologize. But if they did apologize, then that would be endearing to the dealer. Just say, oh, okay. And they might even give you a better deal because you admitted your mistake if you pointed out something. And so being honest and transparent is a good way to do it. I've been saying the wealthy customer is always right (laughs) or the repeat customer is always right. If somebody's a repeat customer, even if they're wrong, you want to keep them coming back. And if they're wealthy and they're thinking about peeling off lots of cash and you can see they got a fat wallet, then you'd probably bend over backwards not to make a horrible deal, but to placate them in some way, not to compromise your ethics, but... People have a different viewpoint about what's right and what's wrong. And just like with comps, you've got a comp and it's two weeks old, but then he's got a comp that was yesterday. Is one wrong or the other? Now, you ought to put it together and try to make sense of what's going on. Another one from Ben Bram about Ziggy No's comment on the personalization episode that I had. When items get personalized, he's a serious autograph collector of autographed minor league postcards, among other things. And so if it's personalized from the player, by the player. If it's to Jim, I have no problem with that. I might have a problem if I'm trying to sell it, but I'm not selling that kind of stuff, the stuff that is meaningful to me. I think the only reason it'd be personalized, unless I bought it when it was from somebody else that was named Jim, I would be, I wouldn't be requesting it. I've requested things. I used to request things to be personalized to my dad. I've done that a bunch of times and I'd bring him something. Of course, my same name, but that was good. But the other thing on personalization is with certain kinds of photos, certain kinds of autograph balls, maybe even certain kinds of cards, there are people that can doctor up and remove a signature or an unwanted personalization. And that is probably card altering. And if it's detectable, you've really done yourself a disservice because the value might be less with that personalization or that inscription. But without it, if it's clear that was removed, you've drastically reduced the value. So I don't advise doing that. I think the charm of some of these things is getting the item in the way it was intended. And then that it tells a story. And I think Ben's interested in that. He wants to get the earliest stories. Okay. Lastly, I got from US Sports, again, on the personalization thing, this US Sports is saying he's got a 56 Topps Ollie Matson Topps card personalized because he asked me on Hobby Hotline a long time ago, back when they were Chicago Cardinals cards, what should I go after to honor his dad? And that was the one I steered him to. And I'm glad I totally remember that because it wasn't pulled out of thin air. That was the toughest card in the set for me to get. All the Cardinals are tougher. Card Ollie Matson was so good that he literally was traded <laughs> for nine guys a few years later. And then the next year, the team left. <laughs> they became the St. Louis Cardinals before they went to Phoenix, but they were St. Louis for a long time. He was an amazing guy. He was 6'2", 220, which doesn't sound 
huge now, 65 years ago, that was really big. And he was a defensive back at times, kick returner. I love it that you're honoring your dad with that card. It's a very worthy card. He was an underrated player. He's a Hall of Famer, but he's still, in some sense, underrated, I think. He was a great player. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for the questions. Keep them coming. Dr. James Beckett at gmail.com, and I will try to answer them as I can. I accumulate them, as you can see, but I really enjoy it, and I hope you're enjoying these kinds of episodes as well. Thanks, everybody, and I'll see you soon. The man-